0: Hey besties, it's Cam from the internet. Welcome back to part two of my chronic illness podcast episode series. I did have to split the original recording into two parts, so if parts of it sound like it was recorded all in one shot, it's because it was. I did just chop it in half for length, so... If you haven't listened to part one, please go do that because there is no context. I just keep on going. So if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to part one. And if you have listened to part one, proceed. I don't know, I'm not your mom, I can't tell you what to do, but uh, enjoy. When I was 22, I had for the first time made a friend who was also chronically ill. And this person is, as the TikTok creator of Hello Hayes says, my North Star bestie. This person is my closest friend, my confidant, the only person outside of my family who knows intimately the details of my chronic illness and my life, both in and out of that. But this person back in in 2022, when I was 24, looked at me and was like, you know, I really think that you should come out here to California and see one of my doctors because I think he could help you with your hip. Because in addition to walking around and in pain and fatigued and exhausted and just miserable all the time which was my baseline. I also had this persistent hip problem to deal with. And I'm talking like it was bad. It was dull, aching, flaring pain 24/7. I couldn't sleep on my right side. I couldn't lean all my weight on my right side. Like it it hurt constantly. My leg was swelling up like half, most more than half the size of my other one. It was real bad. And this friend of mine was like, you know, come out to you can stay with me we'll go to like you can go to the doctor we'll see what happens and at this point i had just emotionally given up i had kind of resigned myself to the fact that i was going to have to live with this hip pain for the you know rest of my life because i had gone to doctor after doctor i'd spent my own money on everything from mris ultrasounds every kind of scan imaginable and they couldn't find anything wrong But I was like, okay, here's my last Hail Mary. I can say that I tried and it didn't work. So I went to California, saw the doctor, and lo and behold, he realized, my brain is not talking to my body. Okay, good to know. And then the question that would set me on the course for where I am today happened when this doctor looked at me and said, has anyone tested you for chronic Lyme disease? Because all of your symptoms that you're outlining, everything that's wrong with your brain, your body, the way that you're functioning, points to chronic Lyme disease. And I was like, I mean, no, it's been long theorized that my mother had Lyme disease and passed it to me and my sister in utero, but we've never found a blood test that could confirm it. And the doctor was like, OK, the blood test is, is $1,600. I really think you should take it. And it took me a year to get to that point because that's a lot of money. And we wanted to try other interventions in case it wasn't chronic Lyme. And this doctor was very thorough about that. But eventually I said, sure, I will take the test. And in August of 2023, I took the test and tested positive for Lyme disease. And finally, yay, I had a diagnosis. This was great. Not really. I mean, I was incredibly screwed up in the head about it. I was torn between like, hallelujah. At long last, I have this diagnosis. Everyone can shut up. I have a diagnosis. I can say I have chronic Lyme disease. Listen to me, help me. But then it was also like, oh, great. There's a label for this. Am I just screwed? Can I fix it? I've been walking around for 25 years and I knew that if you, you know, got bit by a tick and then immediately got an antibiotics, the chances were very slim. You'd actually like have to live with Lyme. But I had been like this for 25 years. I thought maybe I was just kind of going to have to live like this. And I was like, well, at least if I must suffer for the rest of my life, I know the answer. And the doctor was like, no, dude, you actually can get treated for chronic Lyme. Like, I- I'm not saying you'll be perfectly whole and healthy and well, but like you could probably be better than this. And I was like, OK, sure. Let's go for it. Now, if you're thinking, wow, Cam, does that mean that you go back and forth from the East Coast to the West Coast all the time? Yes, yes, it does. I ugh, Besties, besties, I, mm, here's the thing. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about something outside of chronic illness for a bit. So I, I know that my life is a logistical nightmare. I am very well aware of that. If I had all the money in the world, I probably would have moved to California by now, because if nothing else, I know that my doctors would just dance for joy if they knew that they could actually physically see me in their physical offices. Unfortunately... Southern Virginia is cheap and California, the whole state of California is expensive. And I bring this up because this kind of ties into the other thing that I'm constantly thinking about with my future because it is something that my mother has brought up a lot, which is the fact that I, I might be alone forever. And I don't mean that in the sad, oh, wah, 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 woe is me way. But like just practically, I've never had a serious relationship. I've never lived with someone who's not related to me. I do not believe, given my health issues, I could have a roommate that I didn't know very, very well. I could never live with a stranger because my chronic stress issues would just flare up and I wouldn't be able to relax in my own home, which is not conducive to healing. Fun medical fact time, I have something called adrenal insufficiency, which means that my adrenal glands, which is part of how your body processes stress, it's where adrenaline comes from. Those adrenal glands of mine are shriveled up. They're like little raisins. They're not supposed to be like little raisins. They're supposed to be like little raisins, like when you die. I'm 25 and they're like, just they don't exist. They have nothing to give. So my body is stressed out all the time and so is my brain. But that's just the PTSD. Anyway, all of that together means that my financial options are tied to where I live more so than an average normal person, because I can't just go out and get a roommate, go out and get a second job. As of this recording, I'm self-employed. I am trying to get a job working for like someone else, like a company, like a like a normal nine to five, la 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 job, mostly because. I want the insurance. (laughs) I want the health insurance. I'll be off my parents' health insurance when I'm 26, which is in April. But also, I like working for and with other people, and I want my freelancing to be a side hustle. And if I had both of those things, if I had the freelance work and I had a full-time job, I might be able to make it work. If nothing else, I'd be able to fund all the plane tickets and the health care. And I'm so immensely grateful that at least I don't have to pay for a hotel. I can stay with my friend and their family and get health care. So yay. Chronic Lyme, diagnosis, congrats, Cam, you have this. Go forth and get treated. A lot of this is unfolding like during my periods of absence from TikTok. So now we get to the point where all of the stuff I'm about to talk about directly coincides with the times that I was like notably absent from TikTok. Like if you go back and look through my history, which I think some people have done not in a like, creepy way, but like they've commented on like, oh, Cam, we haven't seen you around. Like, are you OK? Well, I was getting health care or dealing with the ramifications of getting health care because the following happened in under two months. In less than 60 days, I was body slammed after body slam after body slammed with the following. The first thing is that my lymphatic drainage system is flipping out. The lymphatic drainage system is one of the largest detox systems in your body. It's what keeps toxins flowing out. Mine already didn't work. But it started flipping out about a year ago. What happened about a year and six months ago is that I got a tattoo. And apparently even the cleanest tattoo ink in the world, which I have a tattoo made of ink that is not toxic. It doesn't have charcoal or sulfur or metal in it. It is clean and vegan and it was designed for chronically ill people. But apparently that was too much for my body. I have a small tattoo on my inner upper right arm that I got because I wanted something that I could have that was mine, that was an exertion of my agency over my body, that was not tied to being sick or anything other than just being a person in her 20s who wanted a cool tattoo. And When that started causing lymphatic drainage problems, my doctors and I were in denial about the fact that it could be the tattoo. And then they found flex of Tattoo ink in a scan of my lymph node after I went to the ER because my lymph node was swelling so much it was making me gag. And so the long story short is that I have to get the tattoo removed. And I have all sorts of problems with that. Namely, it's going to have to be surgically excised from my arm, which is going to be expensive. But they can't do traditional laser removal because that's like Pounding the ink apart under the skin and trusting the lymphatic system to flush it out. But the problem is that the lymphatic system doesn't work. The machine is broken. So I have to get it surgically cut out of my arm, which means it will leave a probably pretty long scar. So that's really fun to confront. That screwed me up a lot because for most of my life, my body was treated as a sack of meat for diagnostic purposes. And I'll talk about that in in a little bit because I know that I've given a lot of overview and not a lot of my emotions, which is probably what most people are here for anyway, because we as human beings want to hear emotional stories. But the second thing I got hit with um, was the knowledge that my gynecological history was not something that could be ignored anymore. In my family, on my mother's side, there is a long history of everything from PCOS and endometriosis to ectopic pregnancies. My mother went to the hospital, to the ER actually, with a four-inch cyst in her abdomen. That's 10 centimeters that she had to get removed along with a full hysterectomy because it was like pressing down on her uterus and also on her bladder. You can imagine how much fun she was having that day. Like, yikes. Yikes. So I was told go to the gynecologist. This is probably hereditary. I don't like the gynecologist. I can't actually see a gynecologist because they can't do an internal exam. The thing with internal exams is that if your body does not allow that to be performed, you have to go to pelvic floor therapy and use dilators to make that happen. I do not want that, but I have to do it because I need to do an internal exam. Because if there's anything wrong with me down there in that region of my body, that needs to be dealt with and diagnosed ASAP because otherwise, if left to its own, it could cause an immense amount of complications. My doctors are very gung ho and serious about this. I don't wanna do pelvic floor therapy. Something else I have to take up in therapy, regular therapy, which is just great. The third thing that has been the most crippling I guess is the mental health symptoms have only gotten worse I am so depressed gang <laughs> as of this recording I am so depressed which we all kind of knew I mean to people outside of me I don't know how it comes off but to me If I scroll back through my TikTok, kind of this visual video documentation of what I look like and how I speak, the light in my eyes is like dying with every passing video. Even if I'm talking about something that I am immensely passionate about, like the locked tomb, the light in my eyes is just like dropping down to nothing and it's because the depression and the anxiety mostly the depression have only gotten worse and after you know reciting all the other stuff going on in my life during this time you know everyone and god all my friends and my therapists my doctors are like oh gee we wonder why but the fact remained that my doctors my therapist and my friend aforementioned North Star Bestie are all kind of like, dude, you can't ignore your mental health anymore. This is part of your medical care. You need to get help for this. You need to talk to a psychiatrist and try to get medication because nothing else is working and you are suffering and you're not going to have the mental and physical capacity or wherewithal to treat this, to survive treating your chronic Lyme. And so I attempted to go to a psychiatrist and was told, yeah, I'm not really comfortable giving you psych meds because we don't know your family history with psych meds because no one in my family has ever taken psych meds because that would involve admitting that you have mental illness and that it's a problem that you can maybe solve. But also he wasn't comfortable about it because of the whole chronic Lyme thing. And that was the first time that I was like, maybe having a diagnosis is like useless, actually, because I'm screaming for help. I'm so depressed that I don't have any interest in any of the things that I loved. I I can't write. I can't read. I can't enjoy TV shows or video games. I'm a shell of a human being right now. I'm screaming for help. I'm spending money on therapy and now a psychiatry appointment and you're telling me that you can't help me. Are you joking? He wasn't joking. Well... We'll get there in a minute. He wasn't joking, but things have changed since then. So all of this is happening in the span of two months. And I'm just sitting there like, huh, OK, well, this is really miserable and I hate this a lot, but I guess I'll treat the chronic Lyme, as that seems what everyone in God is waiting around for for me to do. And so this part of the story ends now because I can't see the future, where I was in California for a week and a half to get medication to start treating chronic Lyme. So for the next month, I'm going to be taking an intense combination of antibiotics, antifungals and a chelator to pull the infection out of my body and kill it. It is not going to be pleasant. It is not going to be easy. It is not going to be fun. If I'm notably absent from the internet again, you'll know why. Um, As of the date that this podcast is posted, I've been doing the treatment for two days. So I'm trying to record as many episodes as possible so that I can keep posting them. But I might not be that well. So, yeah, that's the end of the chronic illness saga. As of now, as of this recording, we just covered 25 years. Congratulations. I hope you feel accomplished. I hesitate to say, let's wrap this up by talking about the trauma because like nah. But this is just a brain dump episode. Let's be really real with ourselves. So here's the thing. All of that said, the past year has been a lot. Since I started aggressively pursuing a diagnosis and treatment and being kind of forced to believe and understand and admit that my mental health is no longer something that I can ignore or hand wave off, there's been a couple of few things actually that have happened that are an interesting part of the chronic illness experience outside of the ever-present feeling of being ignored and disbelieved and whatnot by doctors, most notably the ever-present feeling that my body is just a sack of meat for diagnostic purposes. And I don't even say that jokingly. Growing up as a child, I was a self-conscious kid. I didn't like people staring at me. I was very shy. I'd like hide behind my mom in grocery stores, like that sort of thing. But my mom always told me because she wanted me to not feel embarrassed or self-conscious in ways where she believed it would be not helpful, that doctors don't Look at my body like a human body. They look at it as a piece of meat on a table in front of them that needs to be diagnosed with something. And so, again, best of intentions, but it did definitely not help my connection to my body. To this day, whenever people say things to me like, you know, oh, I feel on the outside how I feel on the inside, I don't really cognitively understand what that means. Like, intellectually, I know. And I'm very, very glad whenever people tell me that because usually it's my friends in the context of some sort of transition, whether it's just a physical or if it's medical or both. When they tell me that, I celebrate with them. And I'm so delighted that they feel like their outside is congruent with who they are on the inside. But... I have never had that experience. I'm so disconnected from my body because my body is just this thing to me. The first and only time I ever felt really connected to it was when I got my tattoo. And now I have to get that removed. And that is a really, really difficult thing to square because it felt like I was being punished for daring to be a person, for daring to think that I could do something with this flesh prison I'm trapped in that had nothing to do with my health because I was very careful. I ran the ink by my doctor. My doctor at the time said, oh yeah, that should be fine. I did a patch test and still. And that's not the only time that something like that has happened, but it is the most notable. My body is just this thing that I drag around and I try to be a human being in spite of it. It is not connected to me in any way that matters. My body is a hindrance. It's a piece of crap, and I don't like it, and I I don't think that that will ever change. When I was younger, I really, really hated how I looked, mostly because chronic illness meant that I couldn't control it. No matter how hard I tried, I wouldn't be able to lose weight intentionally. Not that I ever needed to, but I felt like I did because I hit puberty so young that my body changed so fast and for a while even my own mother was convinced that I was like eating food that I shouldn't behind her back and gaining weight when in reality my shoulders were just broadening. My mother is very slim and very small and I am not. I have broad shoulders. I have wide hips. I have muscle. Uh, My mother has none of those things. And so she she was worried that because I wasn't stick thin, skinny, willowy, pretty in the traditional 90s era model sense that I wasn't going to get respect out there in the world. And it's just that my body was built different. And when I learned when I was 18 that I could actually, if I worked out in specific ways, build muscle, I was thrilled because if I couldn't be pretty in my mother's eyes, I could at least be strong. And I took self-defense classes for that reason and because it never hurts to learn how to defend yourself, especially as an AFAB person walking around out there in the world, but also because at least I could use my strength maybe in defense of other people, which I have unfortunately, but also fortunately had to do. You know, like I could actually be an intervening bystander and it sucks that we live in a world where that has to happen, but at least I could do it. But then there was also the interesting experience of being asked to admit slash driven into the corner of admitting that my mental health does have to matter. To be clear, like I said at the beginning of this entire story, I have been aware that I've been mentally ill for most of my life since I was at least 12 years old, probably younger. But because I was told growing up that I could not talk about it, I must not talk about it because it would just get me mistreated by doctors, it led to a pretty strong mental block around ever bringing it up. And it took my doctors saying something and my closest friends saying something to be like, oh, yeah, maybe I have no choice because my friend is right, which they're often right. (laughs) Let's be real. They don't listen to this podcast, but they know that I think that they're right and they gloat about it affectionately. But they looked at me and said, you know, you're probably not going to survive this chronic Lyme treatment if you don't at least try to work on your mental health, not from the sense of, like, oh, you're failing as a human being, but, like, you need medication. Like, your brain chemistry is clearly messed up. Like, you need help. And it helps that this person has gone multiple rounds with psychiatrists and psychologists and psych meds and, like, knows what they're, like, has that lived experience to tell me about and to help me advocate for myself. And the other thing, hmm, this is where I get choked up a bit. The other thing is, like I said, I had been going at it alone since I was 16. My medical advocacy was gone. My mother was just physically and mentally unable to help me anymore. She was on the premises for medical appointments because she had it because I was a minor, but I was largely on my own. And part of the reason why I was so not resistant to getting medical care, obviously, but checked out from it from, you know, age 16 on was because it was so exhausting to have to not only track all my own symptoms, remember everything, and talk to my doctors about it. But then I also had to balance the knowledge that if I made any misstep, if I made any mistake, if I said the wrong thing, my mother might not get the care that she needed. That was a lot to put on a 16-year-old. It was a lot to put on a 23-year-old. And it wasn't until I went to California last year that I had help again. Because without asking, without me asking, my friend began serving as my medical advocate. They offered, and I said yes. They didn't just, like, decide they were going to do it. They they got my permission and my buy-in, but it was mostly because they were so frustrated with the fact that I had been doing this alone for so long because they, for their whole life of, of being chronically ill, had advocates, had help, had parents that did everything that they could for them. And they also had access to money and quality doctors that I did not have access to. And so their way of paying that privilege forward and because I'm their friend and they care for me, was being my medical advocate. And that was a very weird thing to confront because it never changed our dynamic. We would go from sitting in a doctor's office for three hours listening to everything that was wrong with me to going outside and playing Pokemon Go and going to get donuts. That was always what we did. And they knew the ins and outs of my treatment. They know more about my healthcare now than my own family does and it's not changed anything, which is really, really nice. And flies in the face, mercifully, of the way that I was raised, which is that if you don't talk about what's wrong with you, then you'll have friends. But if you talk about what's wrong with you, if you talk about the fact that you're sick and depressed and blah, 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 then no one will ever want to be your friend. And it's like, surprise, it took you a really long time to find this person, but here they are. And being in their house is really nice. And I miss them. (laughs) Yes, I just came home yesterday, but I already miss them. It is what it is. But The other side of that is that there is now a level of understanding and accountability that I have. And I'm not mad about it. Quite the opposite. But it is bizarre because for the first time in my life, I'm staring at these like pill bottles on the counter going, oh, I'm going to start treating my chronic illness in earnest for the first time in my life. And I have no idea what it's going to do to me. And I have no idea what's going to happen to me on the other side of this. And I don't know what to do. With the concept of getting possibly better than i am now which is not to say i'm not going to try if there's anything about me that y'all probably know by now it is that i do things with my whole entire chest there is not a thing that i don't do entirely i do not to quote the tumblr post half-assed shenanigans but at the same time i don't know what to do after this no one knows what's going to happen to me after this for all they know the lyme disease might be permanent and i'll have to do multiple courses of this to even make a dent but my friend and their family are already talking about what my body might be like after, in the positive. There is now an entire narrative that my doctors and my friend have shared about how I might have energy, I might have better brain power, I might be able to think about my life outside of I have to work until I drop dead to be able to afford my health care because otherwise I'm not going to be able to get well. And confronting that entire narrative is something that i'm willing to do because i don't have a victim mentality i don't want to stay sick i want to get better and have a better quality of life and all that stuff but it's very weird to hear about it from the perspective of a friend who was saying all these things with the attitude of i might get to see my friend get well and have a better quality of life and this is awesome hooray and i I don't really know what to do with that not in a bad way it's just like something i've never had to confront before so i'm kind of like huh well this is a situation." But it's really cool, and I'm really glad that I have that as a situation because it's that whole Tumblr post about, like, uh, to reap the rewards of, of being loved, we must first subject to the mortifying ordeal of being known or whatever that saying is. But that's what it feels like, and that was something that, if you told me that was going to be part of my whole chronic illness experience, uh, I would never have believed you, but here we are. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> The final piece of this, and I'll end here, is that my mother is watching how all of this works out. Because if, if I can be helped by these doctors, she is going to want to be helped by these doctors. And that is something that is putting me in a very interesting cognitive and emotional position. Nothing in me wants to go back to the way things were. I love my mother to death, and I still do function in a semi medical advocacy capacity for her. But because I've moved out of her home and because we don't see the same doctors anymore, she would prefer to advocate for herself. She has in on her own path of healthcare gotten somewhat better to the point where her brain does work a little bit more and doctors are willing to listen to her and help her and understand that she has brain fog and they work with her on that and they they're not brushing her off and demeaning her because of it. But she's made it very clear that if I do get well, she's going to want to see those doctors that I see, and she's going to want me to come with her and use my relationship with them and my cachet with them to help her. And I love her very much, and I believe that the emotional toll that that would take on me would be very detrimental. This is not, for many reasons that we do not have time to unpack here, something that I can do. I can't say that to her. I mean, I could, but it would just be a mess. But this is not something that she would believe, understand, or be willing to accept. So this puts me in the very interesting position of weighing how much I tell her about my health care, which is hard because she is a person I share a lot of stuff with. And it's also something that I think about a lot with the whole, should I just stop seeing these doctors after I get well? I don't know what to do. And that's the thing that I never thought I'd have to confront that's also really tiring because I don't want to go back to just being someone else's mouthpiece and not being like, give and care myself. and there is no easy solution to that. And I think that again, this is something that I've never heard anyone else in chronic illness spaces talk about. I don't know if that's just because, like it's just not that common or what, but it's something that is on my mind, and something that I grapple with a lot because now I'm going to tonight, the day of this recording, start taking pills that could very much just leave me flat on my back on the couch for a month, unable to function. and There's only so much of that that I can share with my family because of their own stuff. And that's a really, really rough thing to confront. And I'm still not sure what I'm going to do about that. I will say the one bright side to this story is that as of a couple days ago, as of this recording, a couple days behind this date of recording, my psychiatrist had agreed to try psych meds. So I'm going to start taking the smallest dose imaginable of psych meds as long as my doctors do say that it's not going to affect my Lyme treatment, which might mean that I'll be less depressed and anxious, which would be really fun and funky and fresh. And I also am very well aware that obviously like everything else. Finding a psych med that works as a process and could take a long time and is often, you know, a process of elimination where you try something and it doesn't work and you try something else and, you know, on and on it goes. But the good news about being chronically ill is that I am so used to that that it is just not even a big deal. I like doing science experiments on my body. It's fine. So despite the fact that my psychiatrist thought that that was hilarious, it is also accurate. So there is a silver lining in all of this. So yeah, that's the chronic illness thing. Thanks for listening. If you are listening to this and you are chronically ill and you found commiseration in this, I hope that it helped. A big part of why I talk about it on the Internet is because living in the gray area where you're chronically ill enough to be ill but not so chronically ill, you can't function, is really hard. And that's a big part of why these invisible illnesses need to be talked about more. Not in the sense of like, you know, everyone is fighting a battle you know nothing about and all that cheesy stuff, but also because it's hard to feel seen when you don't know what you're looking at. So I hope that this helped in some way. If you're listening to this and you're chronically ill, I hope that it helped. If you're listening to this and you're not chronically ill, I hope that you enjoyed it in some way. I don't know. I just talk. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. It is always a pleasure. And until next week, I will see you elsewhere on the Internet. Bye.